Hi, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman, and my pronouns are she and her. On today, we have special guest Darius Phelps, who is the 2016 Georgia Association for the Education of Young Children Educator of the Year. He's also a former TEDx speaker. We're going to be sure to link to his TED Talk over there in the show notes. Today, we're going to have a great conversation about the role of play and children's picture books in moving education forward. Enjoy our conversation. Uh, thank you again for having me. I am Darius Phelps. I have been teaching for 11 years now. It feels like 11 seconds. Um, currently, I just relocated to Manhattan, New York. I will be teaching a fourth and fifth grade combined class at um, Pine Street International School. Uh, before that, I've taught um, preschool or early childhood for six years, uh, every grade, first through fifth, except for third. And uh, recently just came out of an administrative position with the state of Georgia at the pre-K level. Um, and starting my PhD in English education at Teachers College Columbia University this fall. So excited for that. Wow. So Darius, you are a busy, busy person. So I appreciate uh, even more so you making up, uh, you know, finding the time to, to chat today. Uh, and I, I really want to start a little bit with um, something that I really enjoyed watching, and that's your TEDx talk called Fingerprints Upon My Heart. Uh, I'll be sure in the show notes to include the link to it so folks who are listening can maybe even just pause, go watch that first, then come back to, to our conversation. But uh, I'm wondering if you might just kind of give us a, a tiny brief overview of that talk. And I'm wondering, you know, now that it's been some time since you delivered it, if you might want to just highlight a response that you've received from someone who who's seen it, that it's really kind of stuck with you. So that audience reception piece, like, uh, was there any reaction that surprised you or, you know, just something that you're thinking, oh, this really resonated with people. This means we need to keep thinking about it. Okay. Uh, yeah. Just give a brief background. Um, I was given an opportunity it seems almost five years ago uh, to just give a TEDx talk uh, on my teaching philosophy and really just shape my life. I was really young when I was recalling those events. So it was really nice to kind of go back because I started teaching when I was 18 and I was 24 when I gave that talk. Um, it's really truly about a combination of two stories, my past really meeting my present. Um, my first major loss in my life was losing my grandfather who I was raised in a single parent home. So he was pretty much like the only father figure I've ever had, but he was more than that. He was my best friend. So that was really affected me. Um, and then it all just kind of worked out where I was teaching. And there's one kid who I was still keep in contact today. He's actually headed to middle school this fall named Brooke Seagraves. Um, he just helped me really get back to really finding myself after having that huge loss um, in my life and really helped me come to terms with, with my purpose uh, in life and really reaffirm that I'm meant to be a teacher in some aspect forever, really as long as I'm in breathing. And, and uh, you know, like I, I, I think... That, that's really interesting, just, you know, the way that our personal life kind of interweaves with our professional, uh, you know, right. I, you know, and I, again, I think it's maybe even especially for someone who's taught in the early years who, mm -hmm. you know, I love that you mentioned, like I've taught just about every grade in primary school. <laughs> and I think unless like you've been in that environment, you don't understand like the, the, right. the difference between a six-year-old and mm -hmm. an 11 year old is, <laughs> is significant. Um, it, 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 I was going to say, no, it's really a step on some days they act about the same. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
That's true. And I guess you could say that all the way up. Uh, you know, I work primarily with adult learners and sometimes like we have stuff in common with, with the six-year-old. Um, my, my wife has also taught early years and I know, you know, I think unless you've been in that environment, you don't understand what modern early years education really looks like. And I think sometimes early years learning just doesn't really necessarily get the respect that it deserves. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, uh, you know, I know that you're an award-winning educator, uh, and, and I know, you know, as you said, like you're, you're here for the long haul, like you, Mm -hmm. you you, you love what you do. And I'm wondering if you might have uh, a little bit of an anecdote about, you know, we need to, we need to give a little more respect to what early years uh, is and can be. Right. And that actually leads to, I forgot to answer one of your other earlier questions about a comment that actually kind of ties in together. I didn't really know one of my professors from um, my bachelor's degree, which is in child and family development, was actually showing that to a a course for new teachers. And one of the comments I was actually contacted on Instagram was that that, my TEDx talk helped them uh, remember their why. That was their takeaway message, which never forget why they started. And so for me, I used to uh, actually train early childhood teachers when I taught at the child development lab. We kind of had student interns come in and whatnot. So that really, um, really helps me really truly focus on, I feel like that's one thing that people don't appreciate is that foundation, even going from starting out, younger I've taught with infants, I was a lead infant teacher for two years. And I feel like with the birth to five group, people don't really realize that if you can manage a class of like ravenous three and four year olds, you can teach any grade level. Um, I feel like truly that's where the classroom management piece comes in is teaching kids that can't communicate kids that move like wild monkeys. I mean, like animals at a zoo, really. They're just like, they're like everywhere. It reminds me of like that scene in Mean Girls where they're pretending, you know, they're like taking on the persona of animals and they're just like attacking each other. That's really what it's like teaching toddlers. So I think there's not really enough respect for those birth to five teachers. Uh, really, the pay should really be increased by <laughs> double, in my opinion, because it's, it's hard. It's, it's truly hard. So my hat goes off to anyone that can teach an imperfect environment. It takes a truly special person to do that. Oh, just the amount of patience. You're right. You know, and, oh, yeah. you know, I think also like the, the willingness to humble yourself and mm-hmm. also see the, the value of intentional play, um, yes. you know, is, is just is massive. Cause I think, you know, I, again, I think sometimes even just the idea of play-based learning, mm-hmm. unless, you know, you have no idea what that's about. <laughs> um, right. uh, so Darius, I've had a number of guests on my show really highlight how far the world of children's lit has come. Um, you know, it, it really is kind of a, a different environment now, at least to the one that I grew up in. Um, and, and it's become a space, you know, a, a really great avenue for children as well as for educators, parents, caretakers to be able to explore LGBTQ plus inclusion, social justice, gender, race. Um, however, there's a common refrain that I often hear and I know a lot of other teachers get, and that is, oh, children are too young for these conversations. So in your career and experience, I'm wondering if you have an anecdote or, you know, something to, to share with us that really highlights the capacity that young learners have to engage um, with, you know, what's some, sometimes I think uh, mislabeled as like too tough of a topic. Uh, well, the first off, I really don't think that there's ever really a topic that's too tough to tackle. It just depends on your approach. And for me, having taught 
the early birth up into fifth grade and my master's is in middle grades um, up into ninth grade, I feel like picture books is the universal key. I've used that across the board and it really just depends on how you do decide to tackle that topic. And like when you start with pre-K, you would just scratch the surface. But there's so many texts you can just use throughout. And especially when you go to upper grades and you have struggling readers, those picture books are a key, especially when it comes to the LGBTQIA and then um, just diverse literature in general. You help these kids really find solace within these pages of a book. And then picture books is just the way to go. Uh, picture books, graphic novels, and especially in this technologically, tech, excuse me, <laughs> technology savvy age period where I grew up being outside most of the day, these kids are going to their phones and computer screens and iPod, I mean, um, iPad. So they really, they don't really know what it's like to really use their imagination and really just making the, that text to print connection with picture books, just really just the way to go. So that's really why I advocate for um, using picture books in diverse children's literature. Cause it helps even with, uh, especially now the pandemic, social emotional learning. Um, that's a big, big piece, truly a big piece. Absolutely. You know, and, and I, I've said a few times before on the show that I even, you know, I, I would advocate for picture books are a great add into schools, professional development libraries. Um, there's a, a great new book that's come out and it's um, tell me your words. And it's all about, uh, you know, it's really directed kind of at like K2 in terms of having that conversation around what are your pronouns and right. You know, I know a lot of adults who say like, oh, I struggle with this. How do I have that conversation? And the book just, you know, really seamlessly shows you like, this is how fluid that conversation can be. And I love that you pointed out earlier, you know, our early years teachers are the ones who are laying the groundwork for students. And I think that's in all things. That's even in terms of, you know, concept of family and understanding yeah. that there are different types of families. You know, if we're having those conversations when, when kids are, you know, age five, six, you're right. We continue to build on that, that notion. Um, and that's something I've always taught at the secondary level. And I find, you know, when that foundation has been really built in, in primary school, those conversations are, are richer. Um, right. You know, it, it is sort of, I've grown up in uh, you know a system which believes in valuing different types of of families and uh i i um i really appreciated one high school graduation i was at the principal made a point of saying you know sometimes it feels like just secondary school teachers get to have this like yay you made it and it's it's really worth pointing out and remembering like you've got to go back really early and think about the teachers who you know they were there first uh really making sure that this child perhaps was learning to even enjoy what school was going to be for them. Right, right. And even the tie in the literacy and play connection. I mean, a lot of times with, there's one book, I think in particular, it just came out, I believe in February of 2021, or maybe a few months before that. Um, Eyes of Kiss in the Corner by Joanna Ho. I'm not a crier, but that book had me in tears because it just truly teaches kids how to really, cultural appropriation and really teaching, especially kids of our Asian descent. Um, it came out during a, it was very, I said stars aligned when a book came out because it was really in the middle of the Stop Asian Hate Movement. So it taught our Asian kids to really appreciate uh, their looks that they're born with and that, you know, you're beautiful no matter how you look. And so that's just one way, you know, you're teaching kids with just using that text across the board, you're teaching these kids to really honor and really respect our differences and what makes us unique. And that also ties into play. And social emotional learning, we were saying earlier, you're learning to appreciate each other 
uh, respect each other's differences, learn about adversity and equity. And it all depends on how you choose to roll that out. But you, there's really no limit to how young you can start. And just yeah, using I, those texts opens up the doors to so many different possibilities. You know, having the kids like act out a scene from the book or even just tag it into all your other, all your other like categories, art, social studies, math. It's, you know, I hate to keep repeating myself, but it's, it's truly a universal concept. And that's, you know, I really think for anybody that hasn't, you know, even for an adult who doesn't teach young learners, if you haven't been paying attention to what's going on in the world of, of children's lit, like it, it's great learning for adults too. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure where some of the places are that you love to go just to kind of keep up on that news of what's coming. Like Book Riot is always one of my favorite. Like, I feel like they, uh, they, do, they do a great job of just keeping things kind of on, on my radar. So the, the book that you mentioned, I'll be sure to include the link to that in the show notes. That that sounds okay. absolutely fantastic. Thank you for that. Yeah, um, no problem. Shakespeare has a sequel. Um, that one's kind of focused on more from a female perspective. Uh, there's a sequel coming out. I, I'll give you the details on that too before we get off. But um, I can't think of the title right now, but I'll look it up in a second. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, and, you know, play has come up a few times in our chat. And I, I think schools that really do value play like I feel like there's a direct correlation between a school that understands the value of play and schools that understand like the value in our humanity having conversations around you know being more identity affirming um, and I'm wondering you know as an adult uh, you know are there any lessons that you think are there for adult learners that we can take away in terms of understanding you know the role that play has in younger, uh, and younger learners, like, you know, I've often kind of thought it's interesting that most schools have like a playground for younger kids, but I'll be honest, when I was 15 years old, I could have totally still used a playground, you know, like a lot of 16 and 17 year olds have so much energy. Right. And, um, I yeah. kind of think, um, uh, we're, we're doing students a, a disservice if it's sort of like, nope, your, you know, your time to just enjoy with, you know, playtime that's done. Uh, I kind of think it's the same for us as adults, right? Like getting lost in the power of play. If you want to talk about well-being, like that's, it's got huge, huge value, I think. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, if, if you can share any other takeaways that you're thinking, you know, don't, don't dismiss the value of play. I think you just said it perfectly not to dismiss the value. And I think there's a healing aspect of play that many don't realize that when we see kids adding out these scenarios, you think they're just make believe but a lot of times you just sit and you watch and you really observe like that is one thing we do learn with teaching lower grades the power of like observation a lot of times they may be acting out scenarios from their personal life or just even showing you how they react to certain situations where you have a kid that may always be angry while they're playing and that's their way of expressing that suppressed feeling or identifying with that trauma whatever it is they're going through um I know for me, I'm just to be quite honest, I've suffered with clinical depression for it'd be 21 years. This year since I was seven years old, I had a big change in my life and that kind of just onset that depression. And for me, art and play was how I cope with that kind of stuff. I, it's escapism. Um, but I also was able to find myself through play and heal through it. And I think it's one thing adults um, don't realize. And that's one thing I talk about in my TED talk is we can live the moment and embrace every mess. And that's one thing you learn through play. You know, my life is a hot mess, but you, you learn to embrace it and um, kind of just really find the strength of your struggles, so to speak. And that's what kids are doing through play. That's one thing I've noticed when I taught fourth grade. They love going outside. 
that was their moment to just kind of just breathe and have that downtime. I mean, even as adults, we need to take time for self-care. That's the kid's version of self-care is through play. And I just think, you know, we all just took more time just to play. <laughs> We'd be a whole lot happier. Yeah. And that's great advice. You know, I think the reality is that the coming academic year is it's approaching quickly. And I know there are so many teachers who, you know, this summer will not have felt like enough to recharge the batteries. Um, and right. I, I kind of think if you're a school leader, that really is one thing that you can be you know, mindful of doing is trying to make a little more space for, for play. And I love that, you know, you link in the connection of art there of just getting lost Mm -hmm. in the process of making something, Um, you know, how can we, how can we also build that in for our our staff, I think is going to be huge. So Darius, I met you through a really great chat on Twitter. Again, I'll include the link to it um, uh, in the show notes because there's just, it's a really great thread of, of conversation. Hashtag rad pedagogy SC. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the work that you have done with them. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm actually grateful for the opportunity. It's funny you mentioned that my session actually takes place tomorrow. I'm actually working on finalizing the uh, presentation. So hopefully I get to see you there. Um, I actually met connected through, with Brandy Ward through Twitter. She's one of the... Um, Organizers, excuse me, organizer, organizer, organizers. <laughs> Sorry, I got tongue twisted of the event, and she uh, was following some of my work, and she saw that I was really advocating for diverse children literature. So the title of my session is "Healing Advocacy and Liberation Through Diverse Children Literature," and it focuses primarily on the AAPI movement um, and stop Asian hate, and how I really used these certain specific texts, along with a few others over the last year and a half to really just help our students cope and really learn from everything that's going on in the world. Um, one of the books I use is Eyes Kiss in the Corner by Joanna Ho. And then um, author Min Lay is a really good friend of mine. I use his book, Drawn Together, that focuses on building relationship with the grandparent um, of a different dialect and really building that unspoken connection. That's one of the books I use. Um, Pink is for Boys is another one I use to really show, you know, gender equality and showing that, you know, non-stereotypical things are the way to go and that, you know, boys can love pink. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a new book I actually just read about a month ago called Don't Hug Doug. It's about a boy who doesn't like hugs. So I really wish I had that when I taught pre-K because so many kids, especially those that may be on the spectrum or not, you know, they don't under, their classmates may not understand why they don't like certain things like physical touch or loud noise. So I appreciate having books like that. And that's really my goal in life in general as I matriculate through with my PhD is just really giving back to the community and showing teachers how they can utilize these texts in their classroom. That's really just the main idea of my whole session, how to address different events and different things that, you know, you may be confused about or wondering, how do I tackle this difficult conversation such as race, equity, diversity, social learning in my classroom through the easy way of picture books. Yeah. And that's, you know, I know that there are a few states in the U S now that they have said like, legally, we will have Asian American history in our curriculum, which Mm -hmm. is great. But I think at this point it's like one or two, um, you know, and I, I know there are also, I think it's just six states in the U S uh, where the law is basically like, we won't pretend like LGBTQ plus people don't exist. Um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily that it's embedded throughout the curriculum, but we will no longer like erase them from history. And I think it's wonderful if you work and live in a state where like the law supports you. But I know there's so many educators who are thinking, 
you know, this might not be a part of the curriculum, but it's something that, you know, I know, you know, when we talk about future ready schools, like that's future ready. It's just, you know, what is the reality of society? And, and I just, I love that idea of, you know, picture books in your classroom library. That is a great absolute avenue to use that is accessible uh, and entertaining. You know, you mentioned that earlier and, you know, yeah, of course that's, that has huge, huge value too. So uh, for anybody listening, I'll be sure to include the link to Darius's session that is on tomorrow. And I know that um, there might be a few folks who can't make it for tomorrow, uh, but you know, they're hearing you describe that session and they're thinking like, I would love to do that either for our school um, you know, or for my department. So what are some ways that folks might be able to reach out to you um, to ask you, hey, can, can you do another version of that session for us? Or, you know, uh, we'd, we'd love to kind of learn with you in the future. What are some ways that folks can reach out? Uh, they can reach out to me primarily through Twitter. My, my handle is at uh, D Phelps, P-H-E-L-P-S, like Michael Phelps, the swimmer, <laughs> 1113. Uh, so that's D Phelps at 11, excuse me, D Phelps 1113 for Twitter. Um, Instagram is at mr.dphelps uh, for Instagram. Uh, so that's where you can reach me. Or I don't even have a problem with giving up my email address. It's dphelps1113 at gmail.com if you have any personal questions or tips or any suggestions you may have for me. I'm always willing to help. Fantastic. And I'll be sure again to include that in the show notes. Um, so folks, if uh, again, you can't make tomorrow's session, with Darius, please do reach out, find ways to continue to learn from him. Um, and, and again, I, I do think it's important that we remember picture books. Often we say these are for young learners, but I think they are great tools for adult learners as well. Um, and, you know, I don't know, Darius, if, uh, if you've had this experience too, but I also think if we want books like the ones that we've been talking about, like if we want those authors to continue to get publishing deals, like we have to amplify those voices. So I often oh, yeah. say, hey, you might not have, you know, maybe you can't buy all these books, but reach out to your school library, your community library, ask for them to be stocked, like give them a review on Goodreads, whatever you can do to also just be sort of saying like, yes, we'd like more of this. And it's funny you mentioned, just to give a shout out to a quick organization, there's a, it's called Gold House. They have a Gold House book club that I actually am a part of. It's on Facebook. I'll see the link to drop the notes for that as well, if you don't mind. They focus on how to really utilize API text across the board, starting, they have a young readers list and one that goes up to middle and high school level, even collegiate level text as well. And that's- Oh, that sounds really fantastic. Helpful. Yeah, Great, it's yes. really helpful for me too, to really be able to work with them and amplify that as well. I think what they do is amazing. They just signed a deal with Netflix too, for like a um, partnership with them too, for amplifying Asian American voices with that too as well. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I will include that link. Uh, so Darius, I know that you are working on uh, putting together those final touches for your presentation <laughs> tomorrow. So thank you for finding the time today. Uh, no and problem. just want to wish you a, a you know, happy rest of your settling in, getting ready for your new, you. your new job. And thank you again for making the time for us today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. It's truly an honor. I really do appreciate it. All the links discussed on this episode, you can find over in the show notes. Before we wrap up, we have a special announcement from the nonprofit organization, Pride and Less Prejudice. Hi folks, my name is Quinn Casey. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and my prefix is Mr. I'm a spoken word poet, I'm a queer historian, and I'm also a high school teacher. 
I'm a Texan settler originally from the stolen land of the Wichita, Kikapoi, Jumanos, and Tawakoni nations, also known as Dallas, Texas. And I'm currently residing on the stolen ancestral and traditional land of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations, also known as Vancouver, British Columbia. I want to invite you today to register for a workshop that I have planned in collaboration with the wonderful organization Pride and Less Prejudice. So what is this workshop all about? It's about how to make gender fun and creative. Whether you're a educator yourself or you're just curious about how to create safer spaces for gender diverse people, this workshop is for you. There are three parts to this workshop. The first part is storytelling, in which I will recount my personal narrative, which is titled The Privilege of Being Trans. But before I get into this, I always start off with a little bit of art. And as a spoken word poet, I actually have a spoken word poem that I will be delivering um, orally to you over Zoom, which will be the format of this workshop. And the title of that poem is Violet delights have violet ends, which is obviously a play on words um, from the quote in Romeo and Juliet by Shakespeare. And that quote originally went, violent delights have violet ends, which I'm going to circle back to in a moment. The second part of the workshop will be a activity, super hands-on. You'll be sent into breakout rooms. And with your fellow participants, you will navigate tough scenarios that I have devised concerning what to do if you encounter transphobia or other levels of oppression or other types of oppression regarding gender. So if you've ever wondered what to do if you encounter a student or an administrative person or a parent or guardian saying something that crosses the boundaries into transphobic territory, I'll give you tips and tricks for how to tackle that tough scenario. Then we'll move on to the third part, which will be a question and answer period. I will totally create a safe space full of non-judgmental um, responses where you can ask literally anything you want to concerning gender. And then we'll be all done. And the whole point of this workshop is to flip the script. Typically in literature and in the media, we're really confronted with this idea of trans people as this resilient underdog on the margins of society who often have to go through a lot of violence. But the truth is, there's also another side to that very valid narrative that often occurs, regrettably. The other side is that gender is extremely fun and creative and vibrant. It's all about reciprocity and self-knowledge and celebration and just living your most authentic, funnest life ever. So please register, tune in on July 29th for this wonderful workshop. And I hope that you learned something. Um, oh, do note another tempting quality to this workshop is that there are lesson plans. So those lesson plans are made by me, yours truly, and they are flexible and adaptable. So no matter what age group or subject you're teaching, you'll be able to use these as a springboard to make gender fun and creative. Hope to see you there. Bye. You can find the link to learn more about that workshop in our show notes.